Chapter 19 We never did make it to Dean's bed, which, at any other time, would have really upset me. But not then. Not when, in the middle of Dean inspecting Laura Sullivan's car, a necklace appeared. The jewelry must have snagged on something, gotten ripped off Laura's neck. Before the treasure had been found, Dean provided context to go along with the pop of the trunk hood. The night he woke in the farmhouse, trussed up like a turkey, there was little time to get a feel for his surroundings. Either Laura underestimated me or she didn't know how to tie a proper knot, or she was used to having a partner that handled more of the dirty work. She was distracted enough by the phone conversation that I could shimmy out of the ropes. He rambled, inspecting the interior. Her voice was, I don't know, off? I've listened to my fair share of amps. They're calm, cool, and collected more often than not. She almost sounded scared, but she gave it her all when I attacked. He'd been mangled up pretty good. That part I didn't need to be told. I'd seen it for myself. Getting the body inside here took a couple tries. It was like bloody baton twirling. The metallic tinge floating in the air from the dried blood made the back of my throat itch. And although Cliff had combed the interior of the hatchback, he missed the leather cord peeking out from the trunk bottom. The pendant strung on the thread, made of onyx and mother of pearl, seemed innocuous enough to Dean as he ran his fingers over it. But not to me. I pull it from his hand. Hira. Winner, what the... Behind me. I stomp with purpose out of the garage and march to the library. Sam may be there, but that's not my sole purpose. I need to check something. While Dean had rummaged through the car, I had started swiping through the data Sam pulled from Laura's phone. All of it now neatly filed in the tablet. There were a lot of text messages. Things were mentioned that pinged a recollection of something in my brain. Then, there was a nickname for one of the contacts and what seemed to be aliases and code for something. Once I reached the library, I sigh. In my element. I tip my head from one side to the other, scrutinizing the shelves. Sam had done some creative reorganizing, most of which I helped, but not all. I power walk to the cabinet that houses the bunker's card catalog system. The tablet slips from my fingers onto a surface I pass. I read the tiny, neat block letters that label the contents of each drawer. I wonder for a second which man of letters might have been in charge of that task, and if he enjoyed it or was elected because of his exceptional handwriting. My gaze halts at a particular category. I could just use the internet, but what fun is that? If this trove of riches, this historic collection, doesn't have what I need, I'll break down and go that route. Show and tell is always better with tangible props, anyway. Anybody can Google shit. I hear Sam and Dean in the hallway. They are doing that whisper-talking thing that isn't even close to whispering. What's going on? I don't know. She ran out of the garage like her ass was on fire. Snatched the necklace I found in the car. Necklace? Without turning to face them, I lift an arm above my head and dangle the necklace. Want to share with the glass? Dean sasses. I saw this earlier today. For two hunky, ginormous guys, they can sure be quiet, sneaky, and speedy when they want. I feel their presence at my back. Sam grabs the necklace. Yin and yang symbol. Sam does not sound impressed. Okay, 
not exactly unique. That added bit of commentary confirms it. What's the big deal? I ignore the question. The wooden drawer resists my tugging and proves to be a little stubborn. I easily win in that competition and flip through yellowed index cards, ten or so at a time, until I get closer to what I hope to find. Ah, yes. I pull out the jackpot card and hand it to Dean. His lids narrow and jaw clenches into a studious expression. My head tilts up, then back to meet Sam's eyes. Where'd you end up stashing the fiction again? His brow creases. Um, he points to the first bookshelf on my right. I'm walking and talking my way there. I saw a picture of Stacy at the restaurant. She had a yin and yang tattoo. My fingers dance over the book spines on a shelf level with my chest. I bump along the ridges and curves of the volumes. They were definitely an item. Stacy and Laura? A chair squeaks along with Sam's question. Winner. That's a pretty big leap. Dean approaches me from the left. And what the hell does that have to do with this? He fans the index card in his hand. There are a lot of text messages on the phone to a contact named Somerville. And the responses back call Laura Ross. My heart skips when I see it. I slide out a book. My smile pops up the apples of my cheeks. The gold leaf lettering is peeling. And the leather cover has worn and flaked away in the corners. From the conversations, Somerville might be the vamp Laura teamed up with. A few chats mention plans of meeting up after hitting the gym. There's also a lot of talk about how they can't wait until Charlotte gets what's coming to her. I display the book's title to the Winchester brothers. The Real Charlotte. Sam reads aloud for the class. Dean looks down at the card. By Somerville and Ross. There's a smirk lining his lips when his head snaps up. Anglo-Irish female authors, late 19th century. The real Charlotte is about an old spinster intent on scheming to get the man she loves. She also wants to get rich. People die along the way. I give the book a resting place beside Sam on the table. He's already confiscated my tablet. His eyes scan the screen. He taps away. I turn to ask the man that makes my heart race by simply existing. What was Stacy majoring in again, Dean? That would be English winner. He's loving this, I can tell. He sits his ass on the edge of the table and shifts to face me. Shit, Sam mumbles. An errant strand of hair gets tucked behind an ear. His throat clears. Listen to this. He reads one of the messages. Can't wait to inflict the worst pain imaginable on her by losing what she holds most precious. Ouch. Harsh. Dean opens the book and paws through the pages. Still talking about Charlotte? Sam nods. Looks like it. I don't think Stacy went missing because she was kidnapped or killed. My arms crossed to punctuate my conviction. Laura turned her. Dean pipes in. She went willingly. She's Somerville, Sam adds. And it sounds like her vampire ass has got a major vendetta against someone, I sigh. So maybe, maybe there's another connection to the murders? Outside of the gyms? Something we're missing? Sam looks at me, then Dean. Dean snaps his fingers. Charlene, the stepmother. 
good a place as any to start. He stands. All this detective work is making me hungry. Gonna grab the rest of that pizza. His brush past me ends with a firm and intent palming of my ass. Both cheeks, with the slightest squeeze. Because Dean is nothing, if not thorough, I've learned. You two do what you do best. I'll be back with heavy reinforcements of the carbohydrate variety. What about those chicken and dumplings I heard about? Sam lifts both brows in anticipation. Yeah, well, but then I gotta go heat it up and... Dean begins. It's my turn to rest my ass on the table. How can we do what we do best without proper nourishment? I test him with a teasing smile and cross my arms again. Thought you got your fill earlier, Winner. He smirks. I suck my lips in at what I know he's really referencing. Me on my knees, swallowing him. The rush of his words and moans as he released made me slick and wet then. The replay of it is doing the same to me again right in the middle of the library. And I know he knows. I don't think we'd have made this kind of headway so soon without her. Better do what she says, Dean. Sam is not paying either of us much mind now. He focuses on case details with narrow lids. I plan on it. A little wink that only I could see even if Sam was paying attention suggests there are many naughty things in store if I play my cards right. And then that saucy smile is gone. He turns to leave, allows Sam and I to team up on the research. So what are we thinking, Winner? Sam's faraway question pulls me from watching all that sexy on bow legs walk out the room. You really don't want to know what I'm thinking, Sam. My mumble tumbles through the air. Dean catches it, gives me one more brow raise, and thumbs the side of his mouth before he finally disappears. Of course I do. Sam is a sweetheart. So engaged in crime-solving and monster-hunting, he's missed a prime opportunity. I'm expecting thin, pursed lips at the questionable behavior and undercurrent of dirty thoughts I and his brother have presented on a silver platter. Instead, he's all wide-eyed and straight posture like a good schoolboy. Your theories are totally plausible. He lifts a finger and prepares to pause it. I'm thinking Laura gives in to Stacy super easy. New vamp status and the bloodlust lead to hunting people even though there'd been a diet of animals and probably blood bags for a while. Fresh turned have heightened senses, more powered up, right? I glide behind him and sit alongside. His knot is quick, succinct. The younger Winchester is much more constrained with his expressions than Big Brother. If Laura had been alone for a long time, she'd be hopped up on the adrenaline of finding someone to share all of that with, too. I shrug. What she might not have wanted to do alone, she might be aching or super willing to do with a partner. Hmm. Sam smiles. I've hit on something. Something close. I pick at the opening. What? Eileen, I eat all kinds of greasy food when she's around. Eileen? He clears his throat. Hunter friend. Maybe more than a friend? I coax out a ruddy little blush over his cheeks with the question. This giant is absolutely adorable. But yeah, like that. And like whatever it is you and my brother are figuring out. I've never seen Dean willingly eat veggie lasagna. Ever. Now it's Sam's turn to flush heat under my skin with his observation. My throat clears. 
Let's see if he's onto something with Charlene being the subject matter of those texts. Sam's a marvel with the touchscreen. He's pinching and flicking away windows with massive fingers, typing searches at lightning speed. Well, Charlene is still alive, so they didn't inflict the worst pain imaginable on her. Well, maybe it's not literal. Silence for a minute as he works. He flips back and forth through the files of the victims and does some cross-referencing. Wait, so, okay, the third victim worked at Stacy's dad's company, head of accounting. More tapping. Huh. This might be something, too. Mary Talbot. The high school teacher that went to Scale Warriors? He nods. Charlene's son wrote a memorial piece on Miss Talbot. Apparently, she was his English teacher. His eyes travel the digital page. He talks about how influential she was. Her encouragement was the main reason he majored in journalism. He huffs. Minutes pass, and Sam's made two more connections that loosely relate to Charlene. It's not all of the victims, but it's enough. So their feedings, on occasion, served double duty and encroached into Charlene's social circle. My spine tingles with a shiver. Looks like it. Sam shakes his head. His brows decline in disdain. It's awful for sure, but still, even with all those victims, it's not like Charlene has lost anything precious throughout their murder spree. She's alive. She still has all her money. And her husband died before Stacy was turned. So they can't take ownership for that. Stacy wouldn't have killed her own father to hurt Charlene anyway, even if that had been a possibility. I shake my head vehemently. Dean got the impression from the bartender that even though Stacy and her dad had problems, she loved him very much. Right, sure. Sam concedes. Oh. The obvious fact slaps me in the face. What? The son. Charlene's son. Sam looks good and slapped as well. Of course. Unimaginable pain losing something most precious. Is he still? Sam's already way ahead in his search. Alive, for now. Undead stepsister hasn't gotten to him yet. Laura might have been the one thing holding Stacy back from that final kill. Crimes of passion are never logical. And now, with Laura murdered and even more anger piled on, I trail off. Open season on Anderson Walder. That name... I've heard it before. My brain searches for the time and place. All right, Sam. Dean marches in, carrying a tray of food, and distracts my thoughts. If you don't eat this, you're wearing it. He's the hottest waiter I've ever seen with that little black apron wrapped at his waist. The tie is gone, but that white shirt has another button undone around the collar. The contents atop the tray shift when he slides onto a nearby table. Sam sniffs the air. Hmm, smells good. Dean smiles at me. Thank Ricky for leaving us some of his mom's chicken and dumplings. Ricky. Ricky. Oh no. That's where I've heard it. I stand up. We've got to go. What? Sam and Dean ask in unison. Anderson Walder. Dean's confusion is substantially more pronounced than Sam's. He goes to the University of Kansas. I pace the width of the table. Somebody want to fill me in? Dean's hands are on his hips. 
Anderson Walder is Charlene's son. We think he's next on Stacy's kill list. Sam is up now, too. Every time I turn in their direction, they're staring me down. Winner, how do you know Anderson goes there? I stop. My gaze hops from one to the other. He lives in the dorm where Ricky is the RA. He's complained about this sophomore Anderson Walder to me a bunch of times. Always partying and doesn't follow house rules. Anderson gets away with it because his parents are donors to the school. Dean, his room is right across the hall from Ricky's. I can hear the despair in my own voice. The Winchester brothers' faces drop, void of emotion for a few seconds. If there's trouble, I know Ricky will get in there and try and stop it. Dean looks at his watch. We leave in 10, Sam. Chapter 20 Hashinger Residence Hall is where Ricky calls home on the KU campus in Lawrence. As a freshman, he labeled it the barest of bones student housing, a roughing it lifestyle akin to camping, with a community baths and two-person shared bedrooms. The description made me cackle. I bit my tongue to grumble about my own dorm life experiences. None of it could compare to hearing the childhood tales of my father trudging miles in the Minnesota snow to school. But even that felt a little suspect, knowing how Dad liked to pile on the set decoration when his mouth opened. Time does allow for exaggeration in storytelling. There are facts about Ricky that cannot be denied. My son worked hard to earn a scholarship to the University of Kansas. He's never balked or complained about holding down a couple part-time jobs in addition to his studies. Then, he took on the responsibility of a resident advisor to help offset the academic bills. Struggle is subjective, after all. Although we definitely don't match the average age range, Sam, Dean, and I slip in through the building's lobby without appearing to raise any flags for the residents. Even with Sam towering over most, I don't think anyone would notice much outside their tribal circles of activity. It's definitely a rowdier bunch than I remember from my school days at KWU in Selena, but it could be the distance between the present and my memories that allows for the judgment. Time does that, too. We pass a large chalkboard wall with a postcard-type mural. Bold black letters read Hashinger and arch along the artistic display in vivid colors. Little rectangular drawings litter the backdrop. Messages, symbols, Snapshots in this home away from home. Sam mumbles to Dean that he'll wander around the lobby and keep an eye out for Anderson Walder. He has a student ID photo on his phone screen for reference. It's Thursday night, and the partying has indeed already begun for the weekend football game. We trek through the lobby, jock sprint and zig past, some in jerseys, others showing off their toned frames and tight tank tops. Foam footballs whiz back and forth above our heads with hoots and commentary. Music crashes and clashes with bass and treble. Couples linger in corners. Groups congregate on the chairs and couches. The ubiquitous red solo cups accessorize outfits. Not that anyone is dressed up. Everyone seems to be in various states of undress or comfy loungewear. It's two in the morning, after all. The urge to turn into everyone's mother and scoot them all to their rooms is strong. 
I want to berate them for being up this late or early, depending on how you look at it, especially on a school night. I honestly don't know how Dean, Sam, and I are still functioning after the past two days. Well, at least me. We've all had little to no sleep. I don't count Dean's prescription medication-induced slumber. My adrenaline wouldn't allow me to doze off during the car ride to the university, even though Dean urged that I try and get some Z's on baby's back seat. Instead, I listened to the brothers and their scattershot conversation. Every statement that eventually came out of their mouths felt like it had gone through multiple edits. I appreciate the attempt to downplay the possibility that Ricky would be in any direct danger. Sam interjected that all the kidnappings and drains were one victim at a time. And the last few in Laura and Stacy's lineup had all been connections to Charlene in some way. Stacy might not even be able to manage the lure and kills on her own, Dean added. Brains only go so far without extra muscle. If she really was after Anderson, her plans more than likely would require some major alterations. He turned his head to lock eyes with me for a second in the dark interior of the car. For now, we'd check on Ricky have him point us in Anderson's direction, and get some more intel. For nothing to be worried about, Dean drove 20 over the speed limit the entire time. Side note, a typical drive from Lebanon to Lawrence would take a little under four hours. Dean got us there in two and a half. I take the stairwell steps two at a time. If I'd walked down a dorm hall and knocked on my son's door five years ago, I'd have been met with absolute horror written upon his face. Now, the occasional popover with some ready-to-microwave meals would be a welcome surprise for Ricky. It's amazing how much things can change over time. I wrapped my knuckles on his door, a door on which a sign scribbled in messy handwriting, not Ricky's, reads, Winter is coming for you, you sweet summer children. Right now, I'd kill to see Ricky as pissed off at me as he's ever been. We're talking, had to cancel a trip to Six Flags because Gran and Gramps paid a surprise visit when he was 12, pissed. I would kill for my son. And I'm pretty positive the man standing close behind to my right would kill for my son too. Dean's eyes squint at the surroundings in the second floor hallway, taking in all the details. It's quieter in contrast to the festivities we've emerged from downstairs. Dean presses into my back, close and in my ear. Remember, Winner, we don't need to spill the beans. Stick to the Dean's actually the FBI plan. Let's just find out which room belongs to Anderson. My lips press hard together. I knock again. Ricky already pieced together Dean and I being... something. There's no way, with us coming to see him this late at night, my very smart son isn't going to smell something stinking of two-week-old salmon. I knock. Again. My heart is in my throat. Ricky takes his position as an RA seriously, and he didn't answer my calls or texts on the drive over. Mama Bear doesn't call this late just to chat. It shouldn't take him this long to answer, I mumble. A group of kids push around us in the hall, laughing and screeching. Dean caps hands around my shoulders. Maybe he's out? Hot date? He squeezes. A call from mom is going to cramp his style. You know how kids can be. I shrug. Let him think he's reassuring me. I know how my kid can be. He'd pick up the damn phone. 
I could try him again. I open my bag. One of Dean's hands is gone suddenly. Excuse me. The authority in his voice returns. I snap to the left to see who he's addressing. You know where Winner is? A chunky male with a hefty beard, wiry brown hair, and multiple shirt layers stops in the middle of the hall. He's got a faraway stare with not enough focus. The Tupperware in his hand is missing a lid. He's noshing on a brownie. What? Dean points to the door. Ricky Winner, you know him? Oh, yeah, yeah. The pauses between each syllable drag out. Rick's all right. A rave review from Mr. Pothead is not exactly what I need to hear. Is he here? Dean asks. The young man's whole body sways towards us like he's being pushed by an invisible wave. He inspects the door. No out-to-lunch sign. Should be in there. A smile emerges and the Tupperware gets shoved near Dean's chin. Interest you in a treat? The contemplation on Dean's face is long enough that I have to pop up a hand between him and the container. Thanks, but we'll pass. I give Dean a head shake. A friendly shrug, and the kid leaves us with, Later. There's something wrong. Rational thought vacates my brain. I jiggle the knob. It doesn't give. Dean. I begin and pound biceps into the door once. An ease of strength and purpose pulls me away from the door with a deft grasp. A finger shoots up to his lips to counter my open mouth ready to respond to his manhandling. He waits a few seconds for another group to pass, then wedges himself between me and the entrance to Ricky's room. Keep an eye out and give me a little cover. Lockpicks materialize in his hand. Not as fast as Sam. This might take a bit. The emotion wells up again. You're awesome, I whisper, then force my lips tight to stop the quiver. He tilts his head and offers a shy little smile. Tell me that again when I get us inside. Shielding his antics from passerbys with my back to him, I hear clicks and fumblings and some low cursing. It takes about a minute, but the whoosh of a door opening grabs my attention. He's already in calling. Ricky? Apologies if you aren't decent. Blame your mother. The lighthearted announcement falls flat in the tiny entry corridor. It bottlenecks to a doorway that opens to a two-bunk bedroom. Ricky repurposed the extra bunk into creative storage. His affinity for reading is evident by the packed bookshelf. He's got his dad's Leonard Skinner poster in a frame behind glass to protect it as much as display it on a wall. I stand in the middle of the bedroom, turning on my heels, and take everything in as time slows down. I want to be overreacting, worrying about absolutely nothing, but the twist in my gut is telling me something different. Dean checks the little private half-bath that I know is Ricky's pride and joy in a resident hall where that amenity is hard to come by. His brows angle downward, inspecting the room as he walks over to join me. Our collective gaze lands on a desk. On it sits an open Tupperware container of my chicken and dumplings and a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Dean steps to the desk and feels the side of the bowl. He frowns. Winner, you... Ricky's ringtone, an instrumental version of Freebird, blares from my crossbody bag, interrupting Dean and freezing me in place with joy. Dean smiles in response to the one I'm donning.
better get it and say you're sorry. I dig into my bag and answer the phone with a breathless rush of syllables. Ricky, hun, I'm sorry I've been calling and texting. I promise I won't take more than a minute. There's a tisk on the other end in reply. That's not from my son. No, and here I was hoping we could have a nice long chat, Mrs. Winner. The voice is sticky sweet. Dean's been eyeing me through the call. His smile drops. Still there? You've been blowing up this phone like my friend Phoebe used to do to her ex when she got wasted and desperate. A silly little laugh follows. I wish I could have seen her face when she found out Larry had been with me all those nights. Oh well, can't have everything. Her throat clears. What can I help you with at this late hour? Your son has his hands tied at the moment. Who is this? There's not an ounce of threat in my question. I think you know. That's why you're calling, isn't it? You've been trying to find me? Congrats. Dean pulls the phone from my ear and hits the speaker button. Here's the thing, Mrs. Winner. I don't want to be that girl that makes it all about her. I hate those self-obsessed twits. And Laura, silence as I wait with held breath, Dean gulps, holding my gaze with concern. Laura and I would have been fine if we'd been left alone to take care of our business. When I went to the dorm tonight to try and find out where Andy's room was, well, your son wasn't the most helpful. He takes the privacy of the residence very seriously. Her words are sassy and taunting. I would have left to ask a more willing, horny teenager. But then, I smelled. She rumbles out the word. Him. The tone shifts and the sound deepens. His stench. The hunter that murdered Laura was all over the farmhouse. Then, it was in our apartment. And then, there was just a hint of him around your son. She's bright and bubbly again. Don't you just love coincidences like that? I do. I used to pray for them. I... Well, I had to let myself in then and find out all Ricky knew about Agent Sambora. Poor guy. He had a time of it. No matter what I tried to jog his memory, nothing seemed to work. At first I thought he was being all Boy Scouty about privacy again. Then he told me about a Dean Campbell that had stopped by his mom's today. His description of this dean matched up with what Bonnie told me about the agent. I'd say it's my lucky day. Don't hurt him, I whisper. She sighs. Afraid I can't unring that bell? I might consider not hurting him anymore if you give me what I want. Dean Campbell or Agent Sambora or whatever the fuck he's called. The one who's listening to this conversation right now. Dean's jaw clenches. We talk and trade? Me for the kid? There he is. Why so shy? You didn't hold back last night with Laura, did you? I didn't make the first move, Dean answers. But you made the last one. That's what counts. This is called payback. You're all about the payback, aren't you? It's Dean's turn to rumble his response. You'll get to see for yourself... Campus pools at Robinson Center. Hope you're close. Don't make me wait long, lover. Or Ricky takes a powder in the deep end. Swimming may be difficult with hands tied behind his back. 
The call ends. My heart breaks. Dean tugs my hand and I follow him out of the room, down the stairs to find Sam. Then find Stacy Adler. And find Ricky. Ricky.